Howdy, Pastor Mark Driscoll here. The latest book for my wife, Grace and I, Win Your War, is available for pre-sale. It releases at the end of September. We're gonna look at how God creates Satan counterfeits and how there is a spiritual attack for your relationship with God, yourself, others, and the church. Super biblical, super practical. Pre-order today, Win Your War. Well, it's the grand finale of Proverbs today. How many of you have enjoyed the book of Proverbs? Kind of fun, right? It's a great practical book. And the, and the big idea is there's a lot of things that people have a want to do, but they don't know how to do. Proverbs then gives wisdom and is very, very practical. And so the whole series is sort of culminated with today's sermon. How do you get your life organized? And I'll start by telling a story. How many of you, by the way, are new to the Valley? You've moved here in maybe the last few years. Raise a hand. How many of you are new? We are constantly listed among the fastest growing cities and counties in America year after year. People get tired of shoveling snow, so they come down here to shovel sun. That's, that's what everybody's doing. And one of the first things you've gotta do is find a place to live. So just hypothetically, consider you, if you're married, your spouse, if you're a family, your kids, getting a, a realtor or maybe a rental broker to take you around to see properties. So you, you go to the first property location, potential residence, you notice it's crooked and the door's on the side and, and the, the thing doesn't make a lot of sense in how it was laid out. You ask the uh, person who's showing you that residence, um, so tell me about this place, who is the architect? And they said, uh, we, we didn't really have, you know, technically an architect. Well, okay, but is it up to code? Well, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't get permits. Um, you know, don't want to be legalistic and get permits. And so, um, well, okay, well, how about the builder? Does the, is the builder, well, it wasn't really a builder. It was a guy named Tom. He worked really hard. He was here early. He stayed late. He did his very best. How many of you would not move into an, a home that was not architected? Okay, here's my point. People would not move into a home that was not architected, but they will live their entire life in a life that is not architected. You're gonna spend a little bit of time in your home. You're gonna spend all of your time in your life. And, and what, what we tend to do is we tend to get busy in our life. We don't take time to pull back, to look at, and to work on our life. So that's what we're gonna do today. It's gonna be very, 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 very practical. If you, if you like organizing, it, you know, if your Christmas list includes like a label maker, I mean, this is gonna be the sermon for you. We're gonna get you organized. And I wanna start, woohoo! Um, one person's really happy and her husband's not. Okay, so pray for that couple. Nonetheless, uh, let's start here. Let's start with the, uh, the law of seasons. I'm gonna give you two laws in this sermon. The other two laws are a homework assignment that I'm going to encourage you to do this week. Uh, the law of seasons, Proverbs chapter 20, verse four, those too lazy to plow in the right season will have no food at the harvest. This is the law of the season that ultimately, for example, in farming, this is when you plant and this is when you harvest and you better get that right. Otherwise you're going to be a former farmer. That's how it's going to work for you. You need to understand the seasons. In addition, Proverbs 6, 6 through 8, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. So all of you that are live streaming today, here's a new life verse for you. Uh, take a lesson from the, well, I couldn't make it up in time, so I'm watching on my phone. We love you. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor, Oh, doesn't that sound amazing? No political leadership to make them work. They labor hard all summer gathering food for the what? For the winter. They're storing up food during the summer because there won't be enough to eat during the winter. Now, what this is, this is the law of seasons. The same God who made the physical world also made the spiritual world and he made you to live in both realms. And so we can learn a lot of how we are to architect and organize our life just looking at the way that God created the world and he has built it seasonally. And let me say this, wisdom is figuring out your seasons and living within them. That's what wisdom is. It's living within your seasons 
and first understanding your seasons. So that your seasons really come in three categories. Number one, your life has seasons, right? Number two, your year has seasons. I'll get into each of these. And number three, your week has seasons. Once you get the seasons of life understood, then you can get your annual calendar organized. Then you can get your weekly schedule under control, including your budget. But it goes from sort of macro, the big picture of your whole life, down to micro and what you're gonna do first thing when your feet hit the floor on Monday morning. This is the law of seasons. So let me, let me start by asking you this, what season of life are you in? What season of life are you in? Uh, at some point, we're born and you're a baby. A baby is entirely cared for, does nothing for themselves. How many of you are new moms and you're exhausted? You just testify that this is reality, right? The baby takes constant time and energy. Then they become a child. Now they start to be able to do some things for themselves. Uh, hey, go to the fridge and uh, get yourself a snack. Hey, there's a toilet over there. I'm no longer involved in this process. Yay, okay. They can do a few things for themselves. You're, you're a child, you got some chores. Hey, go pick up your toys, right? This is your responsibility. Then you become uh, a young adult and this would include that awkward transition of adolescence. But at this point, you're not fully grown, but you're not a child anymore. You're, you're in between, you're in transition. So somewhere in here, you, you hit a growth spurt, you get a driver's license, you spend time in school, maybe you get a job, you're in the process of figuring out who you are and, and what your future might have. And then ultimately, um, you graduate from college and, uh, and you're an adult worker. Now you've got a job. And now it's gone from you were a baby and everybody took care of everything to now you're responsible for your own life. You gotta find a job, you gotta get up and make it to your job, you gotta pay your bills, you gotta figure out your credit score, you gotta architect your life, you gotta qualify for your home loan, it's on you. That's why at this point, many people move back in with their parents. They're like, I really like phase one. <laughs> it was cheaper and my mom cut the crust off my sandwich. Those were the good old days, all right? Now you need to understand and accept the season. Um, then you get married. Now there's two of you. Well, this is a completely new season, right? I can't just do what I want. I need to consider what you want. We need to put our life together so that we can be one. And then eventually, maybe you become a parent and God blesses you with children. True or false that children change the season of life? Okay, some of you are single, just write this down. Enjoy it while you can. I'm just telling you, when the kids are born, they're wonderful, they're a gift, we've got five. I praise God for every one of them. But once the kids come, the season of life changes. I was dealing with a, uh, a younger mom not too long ago and uh, her and her husband were having conflict. And she said, uh, she said, well, you know, he just doesn't think that I should have so much me time. I was like, well, okay, I can see where this is going. We're in Scottsdale, she's, she's going to the spa. I just see it coming, I just see it coming. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, you know, when I was single and when we were newly married, you know, there was a certain day of the week that was my day. And I would go to the spa and I'd get my nails done and I'd go shopping. And now that we have kids, he seems to think that that's not gonna continue. No, 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 because Tuesdays sometimes diarrhea day, sometimes it's teething day, uh, sometimes it's I have the flu day, right? You, you can't just guarantee that you get a spa day every week if you're a mother of young children, amen? Right? Kids change things. And, and kid, let me tell you this, kids don't care what's on your schedule. I'll just tell you that right now. <laughs> they don't care. I'm gonna have fishy crackers and a nuclear meltdown right now. I don't care if it's me time, I don't care. So you have kids and then eventually your kids leave. They get off the payroll, they drive away, they go get their own address and now you're an empty nester. You're like, okay, our whole, one guy says, amen. Um, 
if you do this right, this is awesome because you can now have better dates because you're not as broke as you were when you were first married. Um, but what happens in this season is a lot of people hit conflict because what held the family together was the kids, not the relationship between mom and dad. And when the kids leave, the, the relationship circles out of orbit because it didn't have the proper center. Uh, then eventually um, your parents start to get a little bit older. So you start caretaking for them, looking after them. Now your focus has gone from your kids and you kind of didn't worry much about your folks. Now you're concerned about your folks. Then maybe you become a grandparent, right? You get some grandkids, which looks awesome. And I'm looking forward to that. And now it's a new season of life. Then you retire from your job. Well, now that's another major life transition. Maybe your spouse passes away and you're a widow or a widower and your life has changed and then ultimately you're nearing your finish line and heading home to be with Jesus. What season of life are you in? And here's what happens. Great pain occurs when we don't accept the season we're in. I hear this from people. They're like, oh, I miss being single. Oh, no, you don't. Um, all of a sudden it's like, oh, we have kids. I, I preferred it when we didn't have kids are all of a sudden, um, you know, our kids left and, and I, wish, I wish we could go back to when they were little. Those were the good old days. You need to accept and enjoy every season that you're in without longing to go backward into a previous season. Those seasons are over. In addition, without rushing ahead into the future because it is not yet time for you to be there. Uh, how do you know that you're changing of seasons? It usually is accompanied with a major life transition. You get married, you get divorced, you get widowed, a child dies, a parent dies, a relocation, you move, a job change, a career change, bankruptcy, illness for yourself or a close family member. All of these things indicate a different season of life. And what people do, because we are just creatures of habit, we do in one season what worked in a previous season and it no longer works and we wonder why. That was for that season, this is for this season. And let me say this as well, maturity is to be evaluated based upon life stage. It says in Luke 2 that Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with men and God. That means that he was mature at every age. So when he was 12, he was mature for 12. When he was four, he was mature for four. When he was 24 and 32, he was mature for those years. And so as we're looking at it, what season are you in? And are you acting in a way that is godly for the season of life that God has you in? Okay, so that's your life season. That's your life season. And there is complexity, there is pain. There is a bit of an art form transitioning from one season to another. Once you understand your annual seasons, then it helps you architect your life. So this is the season of life. Here's your annual seasons, okay? Again, we're working out of that Proverbs and principle of times and seasons. I'm very visual and so I like to see my year like a clock. Just like a clock has 12 hands, I like to think of a year as having you know, 10 months, 12 months rather. Um, and so I, I tend to see it visually. So this is a little bit of my annual seasons. I do this every year because it changes. Uh, in addition, I do this with our church staff. So I let all the leaders and their families know, here's what we're doing this year so we can all have agreement. A lot of times people wanna be unified, they wanna work together, they just don't have an architecting plan. Think of it in this way. The United States of America is founded on a constitution. That constitution was architected so that a nation could then be architected. If we didn't have the constitution, we couldn't establish government and make decisions. Many of you, maybe even most of you, you don't have a constitution. So every day you're just sort of making decisions and you're not sure why. What I'm talking about here is architecting your life purposefully, intentionally, according to God's priorities, and then looking at your year. So 
Um, where are we at right now? We are in September. So let me just start here. School starts around August. School starts around August. So, okay, if we're gonna get a family vacation in, we gotta do so during the summer. This is when a lot of the programming starts to pick up at the church. Attendance starts to climb back at the church. This is also where giving tends to go down. I haven't figured that out why. I'm still trying to figure out all the seasons here in Scottsdale. And then what happens after Labor Day in September, there's a holiday in there. So that's a good weekend for me to maybe get away with the family or get some time with the family. And then ultimately things really kick off after Labor Day. Well, this continues up until the holidays, right around Thanksgiving. Uh, the church grows, things are healthy, the kids are in school, we're kind of back to the routine. And then the holidays disrupt all of that, okay? Now it's choral performances and stuff at church and Christmas parties and family travel and gift buying and home decorating and, and it's a complex season, Thanksgiving to Christmas. And then there's a little break in there that we shut the office down for a week, give the time to the staff to recover. And then once January hits, it is all guns blazing, back to work, new year, new you. If you've taken time off, your inbox is now full, you are very busy. Somewhere in here, usually late January to early February, the kids have a holiday, they get a little time off. The first thing I do on our calendar is I grab the kids' schedule for school and sports and I put it on our calendar. And you need to know that Grace and I have a shared calendar. Right? It's hard to be one with two calendars. Okay, it's hard to be one with two calendars. So we see what the other is doing and our whole life is integrated and architected. And, uh, and then she has access to it as do others that have need. But I like putting all the holidays and kids breaks on because I like to plan fun. How many of you believe in fun? Right? I believe in fun. I believe heaven's gonna be awesome and we should practice before we get there. That's what I think, okay? So I like to always have some fun on the calendar. What's the trip? What's the adventure? Where's the VRBO? What are we doing? What do you kids wanna do? What sounds fun and exciting? Let's plan that in these breaks. Well then for us, our run goes all the way up until right around Easter. Easter is our Super Bowl. It is our biggest Sunday of the year. It is the high water mark for attendance and everything sort of drives toward that season. And then in May, school lets out, they get the summer break. And if you're new to the Valley, let me just tell you in here, it gets a little warm. Just if you're new, a little spoiler alert for you. Uh, June, July, and August are the beast, the false prophet, and the antichrist. They unleash the flames of hell on the Valley. That's what they do. Somebody asked me recently, they said, hey, what is it like? I said, well, go to a wood-fired pizza company open the door to the oven, put your head in for three months. It's like that. <laughs> it's like that, amen? Now, what happens during the summer months is uh, if you live here, you leave here, amen? I went to San Diego, every license plate in July says Arizona. Uh, some of you <laughs> go down to Mexico, some of you go up to the mountains, but ultimately ministry doesn't stop here because this is when all the people move in. So the people who live here leave here, but the people that are new here are arriving here. They wait for their kids to get out of school. Then they buy their house, they relocate, they show up at church, they wanna get connected. And it's an opportunity for us to really focus on those that are moving to the valley. All that to say, this is my annual calendar. This is what my years look like. Baseball season is in here with my kids because they have a lot of games and I wanna be at them. But it's architecting and organizing life intentionally. Life doesn't just happen. Life will never organize itself. You cannot live according to God's priorities without a plan. And let me just say this, I love you, but I'm gonna push you a little bit. You can either make excuses or you can make plans. Those are the two ways that you can exert your energy. Well, this is why we don't have it together or this is how we're going to get it together. And I want the latter for you because I, I do love you. And on the annual seasons as well, 
I do this and I do this with the family and we talk about this and we, and what I say is this is gonna be a busy season. This is gonna be a break season. We're gonna get away here. We're gonna be working really hard here so that everyone knows kind of what life will look like. And what this is, uh, this is, I'll use an analogy. There was a, a leadership book that came out some years ago. I'll ask you the question that was asked in the book. Let's say there's a huge cruise ship that's docked at a port. And then uh, let's say you are standing there with someone looking at this massive cruise ship. And they asked you in relation to that boat, who is the most important person? What would you say? Most of us would say the captain, but the answer is the boat builder. Amen? Because you're like, I'm an amazing captain on an awful boat. Well, it doesn't matter how great the captain is if the boat is broken. You might be a godly person. You might be a hardworking person. You may be a well-intended person, but you just have a bad boat. And what we're talking about here is building a boat that'll float so that you can move on to the destination and the destiny that God has for you. So there is the seasons of life. There are the annual seasons and quickly I'll just hit your weekly seasons, your week has rhythms and routines as well. Uh, just give you mine. So it's, okay, we'll start today. It's Sunday. I don't know if you know this, it's kind of a work day for me. Kind of a work day. Um, so Sunday's work day. Monday is catching up on email, administration. Grace and I have something that we call, I call a sync meeting. You need a date and a sync every week if you're married with your spouse. If you don't have both, what does the date turn into? The sync, it, it, it's syncing up our schedules, syncing up our priorities, syncing up our budgets. It's not very romantic, amen? It's like a business meeting. It's like, how come date night feels like staff meeting? Because it is. So you wanna have both and they're very, very different. At the sync meeting, we bring our questions, we go through our calendar, what's coming up for the holidays, who's picking the kids up on Tuesday, you know, how are we gonna get them to the dentist? All the practical minutia of life. Uh, we use that as a day to get caught up on bill paying, budgeting, scheduling, email, just sort of get life organized. Tuesday and Wednesday are for me. Those are days in the office, meetings, uh, men's life group on Wednesday night, Grace leads the women's, kids are in students. That's Tuesday and Wednesday. Thursday, sermon prep. So I get ready for the sermon, write the daily devos, get caught up on anything for the week. Friday is book writing, research, future sermon series, trying to get ahead of the curve. And then Saturday is my one day off a week and I Sabbath and spend it with my family. Yesterday I spent it in my chair watching college football. <laughs> Some of you are like, well, is that a good use of time? I planned for it, so yes, I feel like it was. I took a nap in my chair and some of you will judge me. You'll be like, I can't believe he took a nap. Jesus took naps, be like Jesus, take a nap, okay? That's my encouragement to you. I did stay up too late, I'll just confess. I stayed up last night watching the WSU-UCLA game that ended 67 to 63. It was not a basketball game, it was a football game. So I stayed up a little too late. I didn't architect last night very, very well. Uh, neither did my alma mater, they lost. Uh, nonetheless, um, I'll heal from that and move forward. But all that to say, you need to put time in your schedule to work. You need to put time in your schedule to organize. You need to put time in your schedule to rest. All of those things are important for you. What does your weekly rhythm, routine, season look like? Do you see how these work together? What season of life are you in? What is your annual season look like insofar as the work for the year? What is your weekly seasonal routine? And is all of this congruent working toward a set of common shared assumptions and goals? Now, this being said, uh, we'll talk number two about the law of planning. And that is that you need a plan. And I'm gonna tell you this in advance, I'm driving toward a homework assignment for you. I've written out a bunch of questions. It's at markdriscoll.org, underneath the ministry update blog, and it's a homework assignment for you to do. And if you're married, I want you to do it, and I want your spouse to do it separately and then discuss it together. That's what I want for you. How do you make a plan? 
Some of you have a plan for your business, not your family. Some of you have a plan for your education and career, but not your spouse and kids. Priority starts with God and the people that are at the top of the list, or at least should be. The law of planning, Proverbs 12, 20, deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. Uh, what he's saying is this, that, that the demonic realm and evildoers, they're making plans to hurt you. So you need to make plans. You need to make plans to overcome their plans. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have what? Joy. Now, I'm not saying that you can change your life instantly. Sometimes God does that supernaturally. Sometimes it may take a while to undo bad habits, bad commitments, bad obligations, bad expenditures, and make a course correction. But God wants you to have peace and joy, not a perfect life, but a peaceful life and a joyful life. And I love you and it's an honor to be your pastor. I'll just say after being a senior pastor for more than two decades, most of the time when I meet with a person or a couple or a family that's in pain, it's because they don't have a plan. And so they wanna talk about the pain. What do I need to do? Help them make a plan. Help them make a plan to deal with, overcome the pain. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. What he's saying, saying here is don't just make your plan, be diligent to work your plan, right? Every January, here's what happens. Everybody makes New Year's lies. That's what they make, New Year's lies. I mean, we call them resolutions, but they're lies, right? So on January 1st, how many people are at the gym? Everyone. January 3rd, no one, it's over. They're like, yeah, I worked out once, check that off the list. What happens is we'll, we'll have seasons where we're like, that's it, I'm gonna make some changes. And then we default back to our habits. It's the diligence of working the plan. This could be for your physical health, your spiritual health, your, your physical health, your relational health, whatever the case might be. Proverbs 16.3, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. What he's talking about here is meeting with the Lord, studying the scriptures, praying, seeking wise counsel, and then God will bless the plan that he agrees to. Sometimes our problem is we make a plan, we hand it to God and we say, God, okay, please bless this. And God's like, that's not my plan. I can't bless something that's not my plan. So it's beginning, saturating, bathing the planning process in the praying process. I'll give you an example of what this looks like. Um, there's a guy in the Bible who does this remarkably well. His name is Nehemiah. There's a whole Old Testament book that he wrote that's under his name. And he's trying, his plan is God gives him a plan. God gives him a calling that is to rebuild an entire city. And he lives far away and that city is in ruin. And so what he has to do is you read Nehemiah, he does research. Okay, what's the condition of the city? Then he puts together a plan, a building plan, a fundraising plan, a PR plan, a legal plan, a security plan. He has all of these plans in place. And as you read the book of Nehemiah, about half of the chapters are journal entries from his personal journal where he is praying with the Lord. And so praying and planning and praying and planning and praying and planning and praying and planning is how Nehemiah fulfilled one of the greatest leadership initiatives in the history of the world. And the same is true for you and me. You need to have a plan. Help you do that. Next slide, please. What are your planning priorities? What we're talking about here is once you understand your your life season, your annual season, your weekly season, you say, okay, I gotta make a plan. Instead of an excuse, I gotta make a plan to deal with the pain. Then the question is, what are the priorities? Now, let me tell you this. Values are what you wished you did. Priorities are what you do. A lot of people have values that are not priorities. I value marriage. Do you invest in your spouse? Not really. I value my children. Do they know you? 
Not really. I value generosity. How's your giving? Not so great. A value and a priority. The difference is this. Values are what you wish you did. Priorities are what you do. Until it makes it on your schedule, until it makes it into your budget, until it makes it into your life, it's not a priority. It's just a value. Okay? So what should your priorities be? Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the what? Beginning. So what he's saying is your relationship with God is your first priority. First priority, until this relationship is good, nothing else will architect and organize itself. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction, right? First priority is God. So he's talking about God first, God first, not work first, not kids first, not you first, God first. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your possessions with the first fruits of all your increase. First, first priority, first priority. The Bible talks about things that are important and things that are very important. When it says first or first fruits or first priority, it's what's very important. And so this would be an example of a list. And again, on your list, don't just put your values, put your current priorities. And look if your priorities are consistent with God's. So this is what I put together. Number one, a healthy Christian. Every one of these, I'm gonna add health. Because you can be an unhealthy Christian, an unhealthy spouse, an unhealthy parent, an unhealthy employee. God wants you to be healthy, emotionally, spiritually, physically, working toward wellness so that you bring the grace of God as a blessing to others. Healthy Christian, that means prayer, time with the Lord, reading my Bible, journaling, silence and solitude with the Lord, being with God's people in God's presence, singing God's praises on Sunday. Number two, a healthy spouse. My next priority is my wife, Grace. She's my priority. So it means that my time, my energy, my money needs to go to her before it goes to anyone or anything else. And here's what happens. Many of us, work is either one or two for most of us, right? And what happens is our relationship with God and our relationship with our spouse, it, it really suffers and, and pays a price. And I'm not saying don't work. I hope you know this. I'm productive. I get things done. My favorite three things are results, results, and results. Those are my favorite three things. But ultimately, grace is my priority. And then healthy relationship with my children, and I'm prophesying this, someday grandchildren. I wanna not just to, see when they're little, they're on your schedule. When they are bigger, you need to accommodate their schedule. And you need not just have a relationship with all your kids like a herd, you need to actually know each kid and have an individual relationship, which takes time and energy. Then healthy worker, for those of you that have a job, it's your next priority. Now, some of you will push back, especially you men. You're like, no, 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 I need to be the provider. I'm talking about being the total provider, not just the financial the emotional, the spiritual, the ministry of presence, the intentionality, the architecting of the home, the leadership of the family. A lot of times guys will be like, I'm the provider. You're the financial provider, not the total provider. Need to plan to care for the whole person and not just a portion of their needs. Healthy worker. And then for you guys, it'd be healthy church member. Where do I serve? What's my ministry? What, what's my spiritual gift? You know, what does God burden me for? What's my thing? For me, obviously, you know, these are kind of one and the same. That's what I do. Now, some of you, what am I missing? What else could we put on the list? Let's just do this. I got nothing else to do. Let's talk about this, right? Let's, so what else could we put on the list? Friends. So friends can go on the list. What else can go on the list? Hobbies, right? You're like, I golf, I swim, I fish, I hunt, I hike. What else? 
time with yourself to, we'll talk about that in a moment, maybe extended family, parents, grandparents, in-laws, outlaws, the whole family tree. What I'm saying is that over time, we just keep adding to this list and then our priorities get inverted. And as a result, everyone and everything suffers. So here's what I, I wanna say about this issue of planning priorities. Number one, someone or something will pick your priorities, so let it be you. Some of you, you know, you're adults, but you let your parents or your extended family set the agenda. No. Some of you pushy domineering people get into your life and then push you around and you let them decide your priorities. For some of you, you go from crisis to crisis, emergency to emergency, and whatever hurts the most at the moment becomes the priority in that occasion. Number two, as I told you, a value is what you care about, a priority is what you do, okay? And, and, and this takes a lot of diligence and discipline to have our values be our priorities. Right? Every Christian I've ever talked to says, okay, my relationship with God is my first priority. Is it? How's Bible reading? Well, you know, how's church? Uh-huh. How's prayer? Oh, forgot. Okay, well, it's a value. It's not yet a priority. Number three, you have to learn to say no so that you can say yes. Some of you have a hard time saying no. Proverbs 29, 25 says, fear of man is a trap or a snare. You don't wanna let anybody down. You don't wanna say no. You don't like conflict. You don't like to disappoint. You don't like to course correct. And so you say yes. If you say yes to everything, you will then say no to the things that God is asking of you. You're a finite human being. You only have so much time, so much energy, so much money. If you say yes to everything, you will accomplish nothing. And so it is seeking those priorities and allocating your time, energy, money, your life resources accordingly. Some of you need to learn to say no. And some of you, there's people and things you've said yes to that you need to say no to. Maybe because in that season, that was okay, but your season has changed or their season has changed. Therefore, what was previously a yes is now a no. Nope, I can't do that for you any longer. Number four, know the difference between self-care and just being selfish. Uh, we talked about this in staff Bible study with the wives. And as soon as I said healthy, all the wives were like, you better put a caveat on that. Because some people will be like, okay, I just need time off. I need spa day. I need me day. I need my own personal vacation two weeks away from my wife, my kids, you know, my, my responsibility. No, 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 no. That's selfish. But some of you are selfish, right? You are your first priority. That's not healthy. That's actually selfish and unhealthy. Some of you, you don't practice self-care. Okay, you, you, you work too much, you don't sleep enough, you're, you're just not well, you're not healthy, you're overextended. That was me. I've had two intestinal ulcers, twice I've blown out and flied, fried my adrenal glands just from overwork and stress. And, uh, and I didn't practice self-care as a young man and a young leader. Okay, I didn't practice self-care. Now I don't wanna overreact and be selfish, but I wanna be a good steward of my life, my life. So know the difference between self-care and selfish. Some of you that are selfish, you need to move. Some of you that don't practice self-care, you need to take a nap. You need to get a day off. You need to have permission to say no. You need to get your life back so that it can be given to the Lord. Number five, everyone and everything is important, but not everyone and not everything is equally important. When you hear words like first, that means that it's a higher priority, okay? Everyone and everything is important, but not everyone and everything is equally important. So how do you know that you're not living according to your priorities? You experience jealousy. 
Jealousy literally means someone or something is in my place and I don't like it. Is jealousy necessarily a bad thing? No, there's a godly and an ungodly version of jealousy. God says in the Bible that he's what kind of God? He's a jealous God. You know what that means? He wants to be the priority. And if he's not the priority, he experiences jealousy. What happens is if we don't live according to our priorities, um, people start to get jealous, angry, frustrated, hurt, disappointed because someone or something is in their place. True or false? Sometimes when you get married, your extended family was your priority and then your priority shifts to your family. If you don't make that transition, then you're jealous. They are getting the first and best of your time and energy. I don't feel like I'm a priority. Um, we had this uh, discussion not too long ago at the dining room table. I love getting together with the family for dinner. I love that, it's important. Uh, we eat well, I love catching up. Just how's everybody doing? How can we pray for you? Anything we can help with? Just little family time together. But if somebody brings their phone to the dining room table, and phone, I'll tell you, phone is the Greek word for demon. I tell you that all the time. You're bringing a demon to the dinner table. What's gonna happen is what? Somebody's gonna call, somebody's gonna text, somebody's gonna email, somebody's gonna wanna play Fortnite, which is a cult that is recruiting all of our sons. And what'll happen is all of a sudden they will respond to the technology, which means what? They're ignoring everyone in the room. And what they're doing, they're taking that person or thing and they are making it the priority for our dinner. So I tell my kids, no phones at the dinner table. Turn your ringer off. Like this is family time, family's priority, relationship is priority, time together is priority. And with seven members of my family, we got five kids, and now one's engaged and, and the others have friends and relationships, you add all of these people in lines of communication, if anyone can disrupt our time together at any time for any reason, we will never have any time. Because that's the world that we live in. Furthermore, if you're constantly available and accessible, you are conditioning people to bother you. Let me give you a little secret. If you get an email and you're like, I don't wanna deal with that, wait a while. You completion compulsion folks, if you get a text, give it some time with some people and things and they will figure out a solution. They're just wondering if you can do it for them and the answer is no. Okay, no, jealousy. Who are you jealous of? What are you jealous of, right? If you're out on a date night with your spouse, and you're like, yeah, we finally get some time together and the phone rings and they're on the phone for half an hour. You're gonna feel jealous. You're like, hey, this is my place, this is our place. They've now cut in line and you've allowed that. So let me say this. Somebody's always gonna try to cut in line, but you're responsible for the line. You're not a victim of the line. This is healthy boundaries, educating people. Hey, if you wanna talk to me, don't call me at 11 p.m. I had a friend one time, he would always call me at 11 p.m. I said, why are you calling me at 11 p.m.? He said, I know you got nothing going on and you're available. <laughs> not anymore, I just learned a valuable lesson. Turn the phone off at 10.59. <laughs> that being said, um, some people are like, he's not very loving, but he's very helpful, okay? Because here's what I am saying. I wanna love God and the people that are my first priorities, okay? I don't wanna miss those. I'm just jealous for your marriage. There are seasons when they're gone, they're over. There are seasons in your parenting when they're gone, they're over. If you miss those, you, you miss these wonderful moments to make memories. And I want you to be focused on those because I love you and I love your family. Plan to pivot. So when we talk about planning, some of you, this is your love language. 
You are like, I love a plan. I have a plan. I have a plan for my spouse and each of my children and my grandchildren. Oh boy, you're not God, right? You don't sit on a throne. You don't get to meticulously determine the providential future of everyone with your last name. And what happens is sometimes those of us who are planners, we stick to our plan, even if it doesn't work. We call that America, okay? That's how we do this. I don't know if you know, like politically it's not working, but that's what we're gonna keep doing. You know, fiscally it's not working, but that's what we're gonna keep doing. So you need to have a plan and you need to plan to pivot. Give you an example. Proverbs 16, nine, the heart of a man, what? Plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. So this is a plan and a pivot. You're like, okay, Lord, here's your will. I'm gonna walk in it. Okay, make this adjustment, make that adjustment. Okay, that's working. That's not working. You need to pivot along the way. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. That you will work with God to have a plan for your life, but you're gonna need to pivot on certain occasions and circumstances in your life. So I like to say there's two kinds of architects when it comes to architecting your life. There are those who are process and those who are pivot. Those who are process, they consider the downside, they tend to have a low risk tolerance, they wanna find solutions, they're looking at the schedule and budget, they're trying to get things as organized as possible, but they have a hard time making adjustments. They have a hard time making adjustments. I'll give you an example. I read a story not too long ago. There was a young woman that was following the directions on her phone, driving her car. Process. She arrived at a lake. And I kid you not, the directions in the phone said, proceed forward. And she did, she drove her car into the lake. That would be a good time to pivot. That'd be a good time to pivot. Right? <laughs> how many of you have had a vacation? Let me just say that. How many of you have had a vacation plan? And you got there, you're like, it's not gonna go like that. We're gonna have to pivot, make some adjustments. Process is one thing, pivot is another. If you're only process, you'll have a hard time making adjustments. If you're only pivot, you'll get used to living in total chaos. Every day, you're just like, I don't know, I'll figure it out as I go. Do you have a compass? Do you have a map? No, I don't, but I'm going, you are. You're going crazy, that's what you're doing. So I'll give you an example of a, an only pivot leader. It was a pastor some years ago. I was a young pastor. He was a much more seasoned veteran pastor. I said, okay, tell me about your week. How do you architect your life? You know, tell me about ministry. What do you do? He said, well, every day I get up, I come to the office, I sit at my desk, I open my Bible and pray, I park out front so everyone can see my car. And if they need anything, anybody can come in at any time and tell me what they need me to do. I said, yeah, I'm not gonna do that. No, that's because that, there's no plan with that. You're just responding to whatever is happening without intentionally architecting according to your priorities, right? And so it was all pivot, no process you're gonna need to have a plan where you can have a process knowing that part of your plan including, includes your pivot. This is, uh, I'm a pretty big college football fan. This is like where the quarterback, you know, a play has been called and the quarterback goes up to the line, surveys the defense and realizes this play is not gonna work. So what do they call? They call an audible. Okay, whoa, whoa, we gotta adjust, that's a pivot. You need to have a playbook, right? That's your process. And you need to be able to pivot. That's calling your audible. So let's talk about taking your next steps. What next? Where do you begin? I'll give you two of the four laws today. The other two are part of the homework assignment. John 5, 36, Jesus says, for the works that the father has given me to accomplish are the very works that I am what? That's a crazy statement. Jesus says, I know what I'm supposed to do and that's the only thing that I'm doing. How many of you, you're like, that's a crazy statement. How many of you don't even know what you're supposed to be doing? It's hard to walk in God's will if you don't know God's will. Jesus says, and so what happens is we look at Jesus and we say, look at all the people that he healed. 
how about this? Look at all the people he didn't heal. Look at all the people that Jesus ministered to. Look at all the people that he didn't minister to. Look at all the people that Jesus healed. Look at all the people that Jesus didn't heal. He didn't do everything for everyone. He did what the Father asked him to do. This is where silence, solitude, prayer, fasting, I, I got a day carved out with the Lord this week to do this very thing. Okay, Lord, what are the things that I need to be doing? And those are the works that you have called me to do. Again, this is Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not a work of your own. It is a gift of God to do the good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. You're saved by the works of Jesus to do good works by the power of Jesus. What are those works? What are those things? As soon as, you know, I'm a pastor, that's a priority. Grace, higher priority. God, highest priority. It's, God, what are the works that I can do in this season? And some of you, it's not that you're doing bad things, you're just doing things that God didn't ask you to do. You're not in sin, you're just in foolishness. Meaning you meant well, but you overextended yourself. How about this one? The simple, Proverbs 14, 15, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. It's not just, I wanna be healthy, I wanna grow old together, I wanna love God. It's okay, what are the steps? Because for any journey, you've gotta figure out the steps along the journey. My question to you would be, what is your next step? What is that? Let me make it real practical. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Proverbs is about how to do things, right? Because God loves you and he wants your life to flourish in wisdom. I'm gonna encourage you, complete the four biblical laws that change your life homework. You got two today. There's two at marktorschool.org under the four laws homework. I'll explain in a moment um, how this works in my family. Number two, consider the difference between a view, a voice, and a vote. I use this all the time with our family. There are certain decisions that we make as a family that are so big that they impact all of us that we need to talk about it. We need to talk about it for two reasons. One, so that my kids don't become embittered. Dad's just domineering, mom's domineering. They just make decisions and tell us what to do. In addition, it disciples and educates them as to the process and the why, so that as they grow into young adulthood and adulthood, they can make their own decisions in wisdom. If all you ever do is tell a kid what to do and not why, you're not gonna have a wise child. You may have an obedient child, but you will not have a wise child. So what, let's I'll give you an example. When we decided that we were gonna move, all of a sudden it's like, where do you wanna move? Now, now we have a globe. Okay, we gotta narrow this down. Some of the kids are like, let's move to Australia. I was like, oh boy, I don't know. You know, I don't know about rugby and I don't know. You know, so I don't know if that's the best fit for us. So we, we had an opportunity to give the children a view and a voice. Okay guys, we're gonna move, we're gonna relocate. Five kids elementary, middle school, high school, college, lots of variables, give them a voice. Okay, what do you guys want? Where do you wanna live? What matters to you? What are we praying for? What are, what are the things that are in your heart? I wanna draw those out of each member of my family. So they get a view into the, what we're doing. They get a voice, but who makes the vote? Grace and I, we're the parents, we're the parents. On a minor vote, let the kids vote. Hey, where do you guys wanna to go to dinner? Chick-fil-A, you know, the Lord's chicken. Okay, great. Uh, that's fine, you can make that decision. Where are we gonna move our family for generations, right? Chick-fil-A, no, we're not moving there, right? So um, uh, we make that decision. They have a view, they have a voice, and they have a vote, okay? Know the difference and include the appropriate people. Even as you're seeking wise counsel, who are you welcoming to speak into the decision? That's the voice. Uh, your plan must be written down, okay? If you don't write your plan down, you will forget it or you will, you will misapply it. What writing your plan does is it allows you to deal with reality 
and then to share it with your spouse and then every year reconsider it for your annual cycle and make the adjustments and changes. All of this that I share with you is typed up on my laptop. It's something that I do annually. Um, consider the downside and be realistic. Let me just say this too. Let's say that part of your, your plan is your priorities. If all of a sudden you're like, man, our priorities are out of order. How do I know? Because we agreed on what our priorities were. And all of a sudden we've got someone or something that's cut in line and everything's upside down. We need to go back to what we wrote down that we believe was God's will for us. Consider the downside and be realistic. Some of you are idealistic and you don't consider the downside. You're like, well, I'll just save every month. Well, you may not save as much as you were anticipating to pay off your debt because some crisis will occur. Right? Some of you be like, well, I'm just gonna work this many hours, but then you get sick. So you gotta, you gotta be realistic and consider the downside. Include fun and a margin for error. Leave a little bit of margin in your time. Leave a little bit of margin in your schedule. I'm the guy that likes to get somewhere 10 to 15 minutes early so that if I'm late, I'm on time and I'm not freaked out. In addition, planning fun. How many of you grew up in a home that they never planned? Don't raise your hand, you know, but uh, you're like, you know, my parents. No, um, but they didn't plan fun. They planned chores, but not fun. They planned bedtime, but not fun time, okay? My goal is to live my life and have in it regular intervals of fun, memories, adventures. Here's my thing. I always need something on the calendar to look forward to. Well, that's gonna be awesome. We're gonna, we're gonna get on a plane. We're gonna get in a car. We're gonna go do something. That's gonna be fun. I need something to look forward to and so, so do the members of my family. Accept the size of your plate and your spouse's. Some of you have a little dinner roll plate. Some of you have you know, a regular dinner size plate. Some of you have a platter. Your capacity is massive. Very rarely do you marry someone with the same capacity for relationships or complexity or, or workload. It's accepting the size of your plate and also the size plate of your spouse if you're married. Because let me just say this, that the two of you ultimately, whatever you're doing, it involves the others. And if he's stacking his plate and she's stacking her plate, eventually everything is going to just start to collapse and crumble. And so take something off your plate whenever something is put on. Some of you, you, you said yes, and then you said yes, and then you said yes, and you said yes, and you said yes. You're like, I can't do all this. Then you gotta take some stuff off your plate. The longer you live, the more kids you have, the more people you know, the longer the list will be. But not everyone or everything on that list is a priority. And then lastly, use simple systems to keep everything in one place. I told you that Grace and I didn't really pull our lives together till we pulled our calendars together. She knows what I'm doing. I know what she's doing. We're, we know what the kids are doing. How many of you, you got kids in sports season, you feel like you're running an Uber company. I mean, it's just, who's picking up, who's dropping off? I mean, if you can end the day with the same number of children in your house as you started, it's a win, right? It's so complicated organizing, architecting, all of that. Use simple systems. And for me, I've shared this with you before. For me, it's a notebook. And Grace actually bought this for me and it includes different notebooks. So this is for staff and meetings. This is creative stuff, sermon prep, book writing. Uh, this is family, meetings with Grace, the kids, things that we're working on. And I write it all down uh, because the Russians can't hack it and it's just a private matter, okay? <laughs> No Russian can hack this. But seriously though, it, it allows me to get silence and solitude with the Lord without the technology. And then what I do is I tend to look at each of my days as a bucket. And so I'll have places in my journal for my meeting with Grace, my meeting with staff, my sermon prep. And when the day comes to empty that bucket of work, I go to the list of things that I need to accomplish. And let me just say this, you'll never check everything off your list. Right? And so you need to do priorities first. Now, let me, let me close with a story. Um, some of you hear this and you're like, 
I am a mess. <laughs> My life is not architected, okay? Here's what you need to know. The God of the Bible, he does forgiveness. He does fresh starts and he pours out favor on those who are seeking to live according to his will. So whatever failure you may have, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus forgives, and Jesus gives fresh start. And he gives favor. If you're like, Jesus, okay, I, I, I didn't do it your way. Now I wanna do it your way. Will you help me? What's his answer? Yeah, yeah, I'll help you. If you're doing what I'm wanting you to do, I'm gonna help you to do that. This homework assignment that I'm getting you, uh, here, here's where it started. Some years ago, Grace and I, we, we had ministry, we had extended family, we had five kids, I was traveling too much, and we valued our relationship, but it wasn't a priority. Meaning if you looked at the schedule and the budget, us, right, and health were not high priorities. So we were on vacation with extended family in central Oregon. And I just remember we're broke, we're exhausted. This is, this is not sustainable, this isn't working. Um, and so we had about a six or seven hour car ride to get home. Now I, I'm an introvert, so I, that's why I'm talking and we're not talking, I'm an introvert. Uh, Grace is an extrovert, so she's more conversant. Grace is more practical. So she, especially with having five kids, was so into the daily details of life that she didn't have time to sort of get perspective and, and to look up. And, and she didn't know how to architect life, and I didn't just want to architect life and shove her in it. The Bible says to consider your spouse. So I wanted to hear from Grace what are your hopes, dreams, fears, priorities? Where do you wanna be down the road? What do you want life to look like? Like what, what's, your, what's in your heart? So I took a, a legal pad and I just grabbed a pen and I wrote a question. And then I wrote another question and I wrote another question. I left space for her to fill in the blanks. We got in the car, six, seven hour car ride. And I was like, here you go. She's like, what's that? That's your homework assignment. You got six or seven hours, nothing to do. We're in the car. Right? I got a captive audience. And I said, uh, just fill it. She's like, I want to do it. I said, no, no, I, I want you to think through and I want, and then we could talk about it. And then what we'll do, I've already done this exercise. I want you to do it. And then we'll talk about it. And then we'll have one vision for our life and family. We'll put together our constitution, our blueprint and architecting plan. And we will, we will proceed together in unity to make that happen. It took years, but it included moving and getting her a better car and all of these adjustments. It was a lot of practical stuff and it took a little while. We undertook that exact same exercise when we decided to move to Arizona and to plant a church. We have five kids. I, I don't know anybody here and I don't have a job. And I'm just telling you, most of you should not just do what I did. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but we felt convicted in the Lord that this was his will for us and our family. And here's what I'm happy to report. God has poured out favor. God has poured out favor. He has accelerated the church. He has accelerated the leadership. He's accelerated the opportunity. And it's a very healthy season for our family and our church family. All of that to say, God is a God who forgives the mistakes we make. He gives a fresh start. And if you seek to walk in his will, he's very gracious and generous to pour out favor. It becomes supernatural. And faith is trusting that and walking in it, figuring out your next step. Thank you for letting me teach you the book of Proverbs. It's been fun for me. Super practical, do your homework. Let me pray and we're gonna bring the band up and respond. And I want this to be a moment for you to meet with God. Okay, God, what did I hear today? What are my priorities? How's my relationship with you and the people that I'm supposed to care about first and most and best? God, how's my health? How can I be more healthy so I can be more life-giving to those who are around me? Lord, what's the next step? Okay, what do I do now? 
and will partake of communion, remembering the broken body and shed blood of Jesus who forgives, gives fresh starts and pours out favor, amen? This is a great day for some of you, hopefully for all of you. This could be the day that the things that weren't working get altered and changed. The things that were broken start to get mended. The places that were drooping get lifted up. Father God, as we come to worship, we just acknowledge our complete and total dependence on you. Uh, God, some of us are working very hard, but not wisely, and we're exhausted and not fruitful. Uh, God, this is a world that can absolutely take our time, our money, our energy. There's always someone or something seeking to cut into the priority line. So Holy Spirit, we now claim this as a sacred moment where God is our first priority, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that we start with our relationship with God. And so God, I thank you for these dear people who give me the honor of teaching them the scriptures. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would meet with them now, that you would encourage them now, that you would speak to them now, and that they would take that next step in Jesus' name. Amen.